Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 5. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Every week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in NYC. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Yo, what's good, New York? This is Jack Devine, he, him, pronouns, and you are listening to Revolutions Per Minute live from the new WBAI studios. We're a socialist radio show and podcast for members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The DSA is the largest socialist organization in the United States, with 80,000 members nationwide, and NYC DSA is its biggest chapter. We are run by our 5,500-plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. On the two-year anniversary of the deadly attack by a white nationalist on the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh and the eve of the 2020 election, we're joined by anti-fascist organizer and very special guest. You know her better as a host and comrade here on Revolutions Per Minute, Amy Wilson, to discuss the various organizing strategies and mobilization efforts and the movement to fight back against far-right violence here in New York City and beyond. However, First, we'll check in on the socialist feminist struggle for reproductive justice following the confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. We'll also have a report from the streets on the fight against the frack gas pipeline in North Brooklyn. Uh, But lastly, before we begin our uh, final show, we want to let our listeners know that we will be moving to a new time slot here on WBAI. This is our last show on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Starting next week, we'll be on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. So today we'll give a a bit of a preview of some additions to our new format, including opening the phone lines earlier in the show so we can hear more often from our listeners. And now, the headlines with Simone Norman. COVID testing in NYC public schools has revealed a remarkably low positivity rate, suggesting that the city's program to reopen public schools has so far not resulted in an outbreak, as many predicted. Some of the Orthodox Jewish neighborhoods in Brooklyn that have experienced COVID outbreaks over the past month have started to show a decrease in cases. A poll revealed that a majority of New Yorkers approve of how both Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio have handled the COVID pandemic. COVID-19 rates are spiking across two New York state prisons. The Department of Corrections has failed to test all incarcerated individuals, and correctional officers are not obligated to undergo regular testing. The outbreaks have been linked to clusters in neighboring schools and assisted living systems. The city is creating a plan to bring a quarter of government employees back to offices by the end of the year. A plan to end the use of solitary confinement in city jails is set to be delivered to City Hall this week. The report will be presented for public comment and could become city policy within six weeks. A Newsday analysis of data obtained from the Suffolk County Police Department found that officers stopped and searched black and Hispanic motorists at much higher rates than whites. Despite recent court rulings banning the practice, ICE arrests are still endemic in and around New York courthouses. The trend is expected to continue unless Governor Cuomo signs the Protect Our Courts Act, which was passed in both the New York State Senate and Assembly in July. Residents and local advocates at a Landmarks Preservation Commission public hearing voiced overwhelming opposition to a potential large-scale development of a landmarked site in Crown Heights. 
The Climate Works for All Coalition released a detailed recovery plan for the city focused on climate resiliency through investments in renewable energy, infrastructure, and green public transportation systems. The coalition estimates the plan would create more than 100,000 green jobs in three years. Activists and elected officials joined in protest against a planned national grid gas pipeline in East Williamsburg. Cellular dead zones and lack of Wi-Fi are making it difficult for New York City students in the shelter system to participate in online learning. The latest numbers from the city's independent budget office show that between 2015 and 2018, the number of millionaires in the city jumped by 20%. NYCHA disclosed that there are 9,000 public housing apartments where children under six are likely exposed to toxic lead paint. That's three times the number of apartments NYCHA previously claimed. And in election news, Sunset Park Council member Carlos Menchaca has officially entered the 2021 mayoral race. Zach Iskell, an Iraq War veteran with connections to Hillary Clinton and varied Democratic Party apparatus, has also announced his run for mayor. The State Board of Elections is seeking additional funding to account for an unprecedented number of absentee ballot requests. Cuomo has refused to provide the necessary funds and has instructed election commissioners to appeal to private charities instead. And finally, City and State published a deep analysis of the current 2020 State Senate general elections. Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by NYCDSA Electoral Working Group covering local politics and radical activism. Subscribe at thethorn.nyc. All right, so we are back here with Amy Wilson, as I said before, normally a host and uh, always a comrade here at Revolutions Per Minute. But today, uh, she is our special guest to discuss anti-fascist organizing. And we're going to dive into that in more detail later in the show. But hey, Amy, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Um, this is an odd experience for me, so um, I'm, I'm interested to see how this rest of the show is going to play out, but I'm be here, and thanks so much for having me on the show in this capacity. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and we did a, a little bit of this kind of in the reverse order uh, about a month and a half ago, and it was a strange but great experience uh, being on the other side of the mic. Uh, but so uh, before we get into the rest of our show, uh, it might be good for the audience to learn a little bit more about you uh, as not a host. So what social forces propelled you into the socialist movement? Why did you get involved with the DSA, with DSA specifically? And since we'll be talking about this uh, in greater detail later, like why is um, anti-fascist organizing so crucial for you and for the movement in general? Yeah. So, um, hi everybody. I'm, I'm Amy Wilson. I use, uh, she, her pronouns and I'm a member of, uh, North Brooklyn DSA. Um, I am an artist. I'm an anti-capitalist. I'm a feminist. And as Jack mentioned, um, I'm an anti-fascist. And I do think that all of those identities are connected together. Um, when you ask about the social forces that propelled me into organizing, for me, it, it really comes back to my identity as an artist first. Um, it is very hard to make a living as an artist uh, without uh, selling your your soul in, in some way. I, I 
in my young years, I, I realized that very strongly. Um, I realized that if I, even if I went to school for my art and got grants for my art, that that would be money that was coming from largely coming from ill-gotten gains. That's the way that, um, most um, artists, educational programs and, and grants are funded. It's uh, something that's called art washing that we've been able to discuss um, on Revolutions Per Minute in the past. And so that was really one of the things that made me kind of wake up and realize, you know, nobody's got their hands clean in this. We are all interconnected. And um, if you want to be an artist, um, you're going to have to struggle in some way. So <laughs> the struggle that I chose as an artist was uh, uh, to struggle toward a better world so that um, those conditions wouldn't be in effect anymore. Um, and, and that's um, the, the basis, really, of, of my identity as an organizer. Um, I will say as well that um, being a host and producer here on Revolutions Per Minute um, has really deepened and strengthened my commitment to anti-fascism over the last year and a half because we do these weekly shows where we talk about you know, people living in public housing who um, don't have cooking gas or have mold. We do shows where we talk about people locking themselves down to um, pipelines, people fighting for um, uh, labor justice, you know, and all of these things, um, again, I see as very interconnected, which we'll talk about throughout the show. And it really, truly inspires me uh, to deepen my own analysis and my own commitment to um what I do. Um, I actually got involved with DSA when I got a nine to five job. Um, that was the, that was the material factor that allowed me to, um, be a member of DSA previously. Um, I had been working in a retail and customer service position. So as anybody who has done that in the past knows you work long hours, you're on your feet, you're tired at the end of the day. It's hard to get to um, an organizing meeting on top of all of that. So that experience has also really informed um, my approach as an organizer, just recognizing that um, a lot of people cannot um, be involved because of the other things that are going on in, in their lives. And while also trying to make organizing as accessible as possible, also understanding that it's just never going to be accessible for some people. And uh, those people are, in some cases, the most directly affected um, frontline communities who are working very hard just to make ends eat, make ends meet, and get through the day. Um, I was attracted initially to DSA's broad range of campaigns. Um, if you listen to the show or if you know me in person, you know that I'm a bit of a generalist. I like to see the connections in between things. I, I don't really have a specialty um, in one particular area. Um, I'm a a little bit of Jill of all trades, as, as they say. So DSA felt like a place where I could explore that and not be pigeonholed into organizing in, in one type of way or another. And I have found that to be true. Um, to answer your question, your sort of top level question about why anti-fascist organizing is so crucial, I see it as an important element of the socialist project under this big tent that is um, the Democratic Socialists of America. And it's a critical tool in our toolbox. Um, every other goal that we work toward as socialists, whether that be decommodified housing, um, abolishing ICE, ending abuse of immigrants, ensuring access to abortion, or increasing union density in this country is threatened by the unchecked rise of fascism. 
So anti-fascism serves in some ways as a blockade against that force that enables some of this other organizing to flourish and thrive and to make people's lives better, which is why we're all here at the end of the day. So um, what I always like to say is that anti-fascism is radical defense and care of the working class. That's a great line that really leads us into our next segment. But uh, just quickly before we do that, I can very much relate to how your experience uh, as an artist, for me, working in the entertainment industry uh, was absolutely a radicalizing experience. The kind of contradiction between Hollywood's self-image and the reality of its process of production. Mm -hmm. But in hitting upon this kind of radical defense and care of the working class. And you mentioned uh, the ensuring access to abortion is something that is really crucial to you. And I think it is absolutely essential aspect in the fight for socialism. We have Anne from the um, Socialist Feminists here in New York City, DSA, to uh, briefly discuss the fight for reproductive justice under the new context of um, Amy Coney uh, Barrett being um, confirmed as a Supreme Court justice uh, here in the United States. Uh, so let's roll that clip, Reggie. Thank you. Hi, my name is Ann Rumberger. I'm an activist with NYC for Abortion Rights and with Democratic Socialists of America, New York City Socialist Feminist Working Group. Um, I'm going to read a brief statement um, from NYC for Abortion Rights and from my comrade Christine Pardue on the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. The death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court is an opportunity for all of us who believe in reproductive justice to fully reckon with what winning it will require. Decades of liberal feminism have taught us to believe that our right to abortion is in the hands of the Supreme Court and that to secure that right, we have to elect Democrats. Establishment Reproductive Rights Group has asked, have asked us to stake everything on this promise. Meanwhile, they've eschewed or even suppressed struggles for workers' rights, universal health care, abolition and immigration rights, struggles that should unite all of us who care about bodily autonomy and reproductive freedom. We grieve with everyone who is afraid of a future without legal abortion. We reject hero worship of RBG as a form of doubling down on the same failing strategy that got us here in the first place, relying on a court ruling from our most undemocratic institution to prop up an unjust system where only the well-off can access abortion care and health care. Our goal is not to preserve Roe. Our goal is to win free abortion on demand as part of universal health care. True reproductive justice demands it. This will require strategies beyond getting more RBGs on the court. The Supreme Court is perversely unaccountable to us, and relying on establishment Democrats who keep selling us out is not the answer. All we have is us, and we have the only tools that ever won us anything. Protests, refusals, strikes, riots, struggle. We reject despair. We'll need many kinds of tactics for this fight. The same emboldened right that's been targeting immigrants, Muslims, black people and protesters has also been terrorizing abortion patients and clinic workers for decades, especially since the 2016 election, with almost no opposition on the ground from the left. We expect that the right will step up their attacks on clinics in the months ahead, and we call on our comrades across the country to join with us in preparing to defend clinics against violence and to fight for universal access to abortion as part of our demands for full reproductive justice. Um, I'll just give a very brief update on some anti-abortion activity that's been happening around the country and especially in New York. 
Um, in 2017, the National Abortion Federation documented a sharp increase in trespassing and obstruction at its member clinics, as well as nearly double the number of threats of violence against doctors and staff compared with 2016. So one group that has been especially prominent lately is called Red Rose Rescue. Um, and this is a group that's come out of the Operation Rescue um, movement that was really prominent in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, their tactics involved sit-ins to obstruct clinic doors, barricades in front of clinic entrances, invading clinics and destroying property, sealing doors shut, and organizing hundreds of protesters to harass, harass patients as they walked into clinics. Um, Red Rose Rescue was started in 2017 um, to continue these tactics, um, and there have been dozens of Red Rose Rescue. Um, uh, there's been dozens of Red Rose Rescues um, across the country, um, including one last week in Washington D.C. Uh, at a clinic there, where about 10 protesters chained themselves to furniture in the waiting room and were arrested by police when they refused to move. Um, another group is called Love Life, and they're an anti-abortion group that's been founded um, in recent years um, in North Carolina, and they set up a headquarters in New York City last fall. Um, they are connected to Jason and David Benham, who are the sons of former Operation Rescue leader Flip Benham. Um, they were real estate entrepreneurs who had an HGTV house flipping show, and it was canceled because of their anti-LGBTQ and Islamophobic statements. Um, they regularly host prayer walks, and they lead about 150 uh, participants to the Planned Parenthood Clinic on Bleecker Street. They also train sidewalk counselors to intercept patients as they enter the clinic, um, and they try to um, convince patients not to follow through with their planned abortion appointments. Um, another very aggressive part of the anti-abortion movement is a new campaign called Jesus Matters, which was started by two evangelical preachers. Um, these are two women who travel around the country. They host live stream protests outside of abortion clinics, um, and they reach thousands of people, um, mostly conservative Christian followers, on their social media channels. Um, and they have recently been protesting at clinics in New Jersey and in Manhattan, um, they use really aggressive tactics. They try to physically block clinic entrances, and they've been arrested multiple times recently, both for their harassment of patients at Planned Parenthood and also for painting over Black Lives Matter murals in Manhattan. Um, they also spoke at a far-right Freedom March last weekend in Manhattan, so it's really easy to trace the connections between a lot of these far-right movements and the anti-abortion movement. So anti-abortion activity seems to be returning um, to levels not seen since the 1990s. Um, so what is the left's response to this? Um, we really need to exploit the weaknesses in the anti-abortion movement and to counter it with an expansive and militant movement that unapologetically fights for free and equal access to abortion while participating in building a unified movement to address the many connecting injustices that those who are most marginalized face. Uh, thank you, Anne, from New York City uh, Democratic Socialist Socialist Feminist Working Group. Uh, that was a great update on the fight against uh, anti-abortion uh, activists and their very cruel and barbaric tactics, as well as um, sharing for thank you for sharing that statement um, from the Socialist Feminist Working Group. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners that you are tuning in to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored W. WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. We just want to remind everyone that this is our last show on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Starting next week, we'll be on Wednesdays and Wednesday nights 
at 9 p.m. Today, we're talking about the uh, struggle against fascism, the uh, reproductive justice movement, as well as about to get an update from the fight against the uh, pipeline construction in North Brooklyn. If you've been tuning in to our show recently, uh, as well as uh, checking out our podcast exclusives while we were off the air this past few weeks, you will have heard that there is a real fight happening in North Brooklyn um, over pipe, uh, frack gas pipeline construction. And yesterday, uh, the North Brooklyn Pipeline Coalition and Frack out of Brooklyn again shut down the construction of National Grid's widely opposed North Brooklyn Pipeline. National Grid has been building the frack gas pipeline through predominantly br- black and brown neighborhoods from Brownsville, Brownsville to East Williamsburg without community consent and has requested to raise monthly utility bills to pay for it. Seven people were arrested two weeks ago for locking themselves down uh, to the pipeline and other parts of the construction site on two consecutive days. Five more were arrested during yesterday's shutdown of construction. One of them... um, was one of them uh, organizes with the No uh, NBK Pipeline Coalition, Frack out of Brooklyn, and NYC DSA Eco Socialists. Here's uh, Jen live as she was chained to the pipeline site, halting construction. Uh, Reggie, please roll that clip for us. Hi, everyone. We are live in the pit where National Grid is building new fossil fuel infrastructure. They're building a pipeline from Brownsville to Greenpoint. Me, I'm Jen, and four others have walked down in the construction site. We are live from the pit. We won't stand for new fossil fuel infrastructure being built by National Grid, a for-profit company that has a monopoly hold on New York City. No pipelines on stolen land. Community direct action has delayed construction for at least a week. Uh, National Grid has originally said they plan to have frack gas flowing through most of the pipeline by October 31st. Um, But NYC DSA eco-socialists are not only calling for the pipeline to be shut down, but for a public takeover of National Grid and corporate utilities statewide. So now we are kind of nearing the uh, halfway point of the show, and we want to kind of introduce the new format we're going to be using in our uh, new 9 p.m. slot on Wednesdays, and we're going to be opening up the phone lines. Uh, so we would uh, love for you to call in uh, and talk to us. So please give us a call at 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212 209 2877. And Amy, while we we wait to hear uh, from our listeners, I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts, any reflections on what we just heard uh, with either the uh, the fight for reproductive justice or what's happening uh, down in the fight against the pipeline. And you kind of made a reference before how all these kind of these struggles relate to one another and these sort of uh, broader anti-fascist struggles. So is there anything that kind of popped in your head while you were listening to uh, any of those clips? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things that I'm going to be talking about later in the show is some of the specific far-right mobilizations that we saw over the last weekend and what we're seeing for this upcoming weekend, which, of course, is the weekend before um, Election Day. And um, the kind of protest tactic of choice right now from the these far-right groups in in new york city is a car caravan so hearing jen um reporting live as she's locked to a pipeline to protest a a fracked gas pipeline running through her community really makes me think about just how deeply offensive it is for um, people to be uh, using their gas guzzling cars to drive around new york city waving uh trump 2020 and blue lives matter matter flags um the flags are offensive the idea behind it is offensive and the fact that they're driving around while um, the climate is collapsing is very, very offensive. And um, I would also say, Anne mentioned it in, in her segment as well, but yes, it is true that <clears throat> some very, very virulent um, anti-abortion figures um, were present uh, at mobilizations this past Saturday, and that speaks to the linkages um, that we know are true, but we often need to have reinforced um, between, um, you know, uh, the control of female bodies and reproduction and um, the fascist project. Yeah, I, th- I think there is a very, very um, clear line. It's about this kind of uh, fascism, at least as I see it, is about this kind of reinforcement of hierarchy and domination and control mm-hmm. um, over people who are considered uh, inferior to the, the dominant type. And I think that is uh, one uh, very um, dangerous aspect of the fascist movement and and I think fighting back against uh, people who are trying to um, take away this right for abortion, but also uh, the pushing forward for reproductive justice is a, a crucial front in the broader anti-fascist uh, strategy. And I, I definitely think that's something that we hope to continue to talk about on Revolutions Per Minute going forward. And I just want to remind uh, listeners that the phone lines are open. Uh, we actually do have a caller right now. Um, hey, caller, what is your name and uh, why are you calling in? What's your question and or comment? Um, hi, my name is George. Good show. I was just calling in. I uh, I agree that you know the women's right. You can't you know Roe v. Wade. You know I I, well, I I think we should minimize the number of abortions as much as possible and get them as early as quickly as possible. Where you know the pills and stuff like this, like the day after pills or whatever, late term things come up and all of that. But obviously the woman, even though technically the body inside the woman is not the woman's body, it is being carried by the woman. So she has the right to terminate that, as, as our courts have said. And women, you know, will die if we don't do it. We'll get it anyway, right? But um, that goes to my point about the uh, masks and my body and me not wanting to wear a mask because I don't think it's good for my health and I don't want to do it, period. But isn't that the same kind of thing like my body, my choice? I don't care. You know what I mean? No, uh, I'm sorry, caller. It's not at all the same type of thing. And and that's a pretty offensive comparison. Um, The choice to wear a mask is actually about community defense and community safety. You're keeping other people safe from a deadly illness that they didn't consent to 
receive from you. So it, it's much different from from access to abortion. But thank you so much for calling in, and I do appreciate your support for abortion. Yep, thank you for that call, and I uh, I definitely want to second Amy's point. I think these are very distinct issues. Um, and they're actually the one thing that relates is that they're about public health and everyone has uh, a right to health care, should have a right to health care. Unfortunately, they don't in this country and people should have a, a right to abortion and uh, be able to do that safely. And also sh- people should be able to walk around safely in their communities and not feel like they are going to get a um, contagious disease from someone else. And masks are the most effective way of containing that disease. So I think we have to think about things along those terms. So I just want to remind everyone that you are tuning in to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI. And we uh, just want to now kind of always remind our listeners before uh, we'll do this for the last time in our 5 p.m. slot, but we uh, will be doing it at 9, that this is a station that is about kind of sharing the perspective of uh, voices that are normally marginalized in the media. And I think... Uh, we're talking about this kind of broad anti-fascist fight. And I think part of that is building up uh, what I would describe as working class media institutions that fight back against the powers that be and can really kind of uh, project a perspective of people struggling on the ground for, the, I mean, often their right uh, to just live in a, a healthy world, to be able to have control over their own bodies. And we're really bringing a perspective that is beyond just kind of like what uh, is acceptable in mainstream liberal discourse who are very afraid of offending their corporate donors or, um, you know, or the kind of the fascist perspective that is often uh, uh, brought out there in right wing media. So if you want to give to the station, you can call in at 516-620-3602. Again, that number is 516-620-3602 or become a buddy at uh, WBAI.org. Um, again, that is a WBAI.org. You go down, uh, say revolutions per minute is your favorite show. Go to WBAI.org. Uh, go to the buddy button, click that, scroll down. Click us in there and you give a monthly donation. Once you do that, if you get over $25 on the year, you become a listener member of the station. You're part of the WBI community. You get a vote in elections to the local station board. Amy and I are both staff representatives on the local station board. And it's very important to have actual engagement and involvement in the station. And we really want people to be um, you know, contributing and become part of this working class institution and build working class media power. And that's what we are doing on the show and we want to be doing with the station as a whole. So now I want to really dive in further into this topic that we've kind of been we've been jumping into uh, briefly today, and that is the uh, the struggle against fascism uh, and the anti-fascist mobilizations that are going to be happening, uh, you know, that have already been happening are going to continue to happen as uh, unfortunately fascist violence uh, increases because. As uh, many of our listeners know, tragically, this fascist violence has been on the rise over the past four years. Um, In fact, today is actually the two-year anniversary of really the brutal barbaric shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. So, like, Amy, how did that um, really 
a terrible act of violence demonstrate the connection between uh, anti-Semitic and anti-immigrant ideology? And what role do organizations like the Proud Boys have in fomenting uh, targeted mass violence? Yeah, so today, today is a very sad anniversary and, and also a good day to spend some time reflecting on, um, these issues because, uh, as we'll speak about, um, a little bit later, later, hopefully, um, we don't often get time to actually step back and, and reflect on the violence and trauma that's been inflicted on, on many of us over the last four years. Um, and that can make it hard to kind of, analyze it from a, a larger picture perspective. So again, thank you for having me on and especially I'm glad that it was able to, to be today for this um, significant anniversary. So the first comment that I would like to make is that um, the, the Proud Boys have become one of the most legible um, far-right groups. They, of course, got a shout out from our current president in um, on a national stage earlier this fall, the infamous comment of stand back and stand by. Um, and they are one of the more sort of explicitly violent formations um, that we see on the, on the far right right now. Um, but they are far from the only actors um, in the scene right now. And um, certainly in these mobilizations that we've been seeing that we saw last weekend and that we're going to see um, this upcoming weekend, um, they, they are not the only people involved, but to, to delineate, all of these um, ideological differences that they see among themselves would be a whole other show. And it's um, something that, um, you know, it, it, it is less important than talking about the material effects of the larger project that they are participating in. So returning to your question about the, the Tree of Life shooting um, specifically, um, that shooter was active on Gab, which is a platform that for a long time was pretty infamous for being um, heavily used um, by the far right. And actually in the aftermath of this tree of life shooting, the, the resulting public outcry um, uh, forced Gab's hand to actually deplatform and remove some of those um, those actors who had been using it to, to organize. Uh, that shooter had also specifically posted about the Proud Boys and sympathy um, with the Proud Boys. Um, the Proud Boys and some of the other far-right group are pretty savvy and media aware. And uh, after the violence of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, which is in August 2017, and of course, um, a woman, Heather Heyer, was killed at that time, um, they had said they wanted to focus more on, quote, optics so they could push their message to the broader world. And before uh, his attack on the Pittsburgh synagogue, the shooter said, forget your optics, I'm going in, um, which is a perfect uh, and tragic example of the way that um, rhetoric doesn't stay in the realm of rhetoric. It can lead to physical violence um, when other factors align. So one of the reasons why uh, that shooter specifically targeted that building two years ago today um, was because it was used, it was used by several different Jewish congregations um, and who were worshiping inside it at the time that the shooting occurred. Um, but one of the three Jewish congregations had 
just recently before the attack, attended a refugee assistance event. This was October of 2018. And one of the leading news stories was these migrant caravans that were coming up um, from Central America. There was so much um, hateful propaganda that was being pushed about these invasive migrant caravans that were coming to coming to, to our country, right? So um, the, the shooter uh, connected the dots between his anti-Semitism and the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that are so common in certain corners of the internet with his knowledge of this group's involvement with really a pretty plain vanilla, you know, as a benefit dinner or something like that for a refugee assistance society. And to him, that connected the dots between, you know, the, the all-powerful Jews and the invasive immigrants. And, you know, that is the way that he himself explained um, his actions. So I just wanted to be very crystal clear that everyone who knowingly associates with these types of groups is associating themselves with this type of attack. And that, you know, this violence occurs on a spectrum. It is progressively laundered from what most people would consider to be fringe or extremist or, you know, too far beyond the pale and would be repugnant to them into ideas and policies that can be pushed by lawmakers who, or people with the ear of lawmakers, you know, people who might be advisors um, to, well, advisors to the president um, or other um, other people in power. And also, and I know you'll love this point, Jack, through right-wing media that reaches the average American in their home and pumps out an unfettered stream of hateful ideas. So things that start out as being, you know, things that start out on the extreme end of the spectrum gradually make their way into the minds of um, average people. And metapolitics, quote unquote, on this level is actually what a lot of um, far right leaders, those who are not just straight up grifters or provocateurs or whatever their motivations may be, are aiming to do. But there are people who, you know, are, are there are people who um, are intelligent enough to be planning this out directly. Um, two of them um, are named Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller. They are great examples of this phenomenon. Um, there have been leaked emails that show Stephen Miller emailing with Breitbart, which is the right-wing news site that um, uh, Steve Bannon founded, and asking them to push white supremacist and xenophobic ideas. So those ideas end up on Breitbart, then they get onto Tucker Carlson, then they get into your uncle Gary's mind, right? Um, that's, that's the line that that works. Um, and of course, Stephen Miller is still active in the Trump administration. He has a position of huge power as a senior policy advisor to the president. So, you know, the, the, a shooting like what occurred at the Tree of Life synagogue two years ago is really violent and shocking and encourages this sort of large outpouring of expressions of support and solidarity. But it's kind of an eruption of what's constantly going on, um, throughout the year, you know, throughout time, um, on, in these places that are, um, ranging from more shadowy to, to right out in the open. Yeah, I think you, you just did a really great job of showing how this is exists in a sort of net nexus. That there's kind of a network that connects all these seemingly disparate actors together and kind of reproduces this 
fascist ideology um, in very, very dangerous ways. Um, so before like, further getting into kind of uh, the, the specific actions uh, coming up here in New York to fight back, against this sort of dangerous movement uh, as we're discussing this in this really horrific incident um, in Pittsburgh at the Tree Life Synagogue a couple years ago. Um, there is going to be a memorial there tonight for those who uh, lost their lives. And so how do like actions like that um, build solidarity and help alleviate collective trauma? And why is that uh, so important um, for the fights to come? Yeah, so so um, this is something that I could talk about um, forever, but I'll make my comments on it brief because I know that we have um, other things to get to during the show. So um, the memorial is actually happening tonight um, here in New York City as a, uh, on the Upper West Side. It's organized by um, a really wonderful group called Outlive Them, um, members of whom have been on um, revolutions permitted in the past, and they are an explicitly Jewish anti-fascist, Jewish and allied um, anti-fascist organization. So um, they are creating this space tonight for people to um, celebrate life um, in the face of all the darkness um, that's going on and to hold um, in memory the the victims of the Tree of Life synagogue shooting. Um, these events are, are community trauma. They're a collective trauma. And we are living in a time that doesn't allow us to process that appropriately. And some would say, I would say that this is part of the strategy of fascism to exhaust those who would fight back against it and to convince those in the liberal center uh, to accept authoritarian rule as a means of restoring order just to make the pain stop, basically, just to end the upheaval that has such an effect on us as human beings because we are interconnected and we have a natural empathetic response when we see violence happening, um, even if it's not directly affecting us. So when organizers and activists um, hold these spaces, whether this be, uh, you know, the memorial tonight or memorials for um, victims of um, other types of fascist violence, um, they not only allow the people themselves to recharge, but are also a form in and of themselves of fighting back against fascism by disallowing it control over our, our emotional responses and, and reclaiming, for lack of a better word, um, our souls, because this is a very soul-killing time that we're living through. Yeah, absolutely. Fascism is so much about kind of... Uh, breaking apart the the humanistic solidarity that we have and building sort of a a a mode of kind of attack and hatred the, the there's the only groups are one that are built together through trying to destroy other groups while these sort of memorials are about coming together to celebrate our common humanity across the various things that divide us mm -hmm. and as you're saying this there's this sort of um notion that's part of the strategy where fascists are saying they're kind of trying to offer an alternative that we will end the chaos when really what they're going to do is turn the chaos up to another level that is directed at targeted groups but eventually the violence comes for us all yeah um and, and so um just kind of this final segment before we reopen the phones is just in what ways are the various factions of the far right uniting under the banner of Trump 2020? How are anti-fascists mobilizing um, in the fight back against them? And why is building a broad coalition so critical for the struggle ahead? 
Yeah. So um, this this past Sunday, um, there was um, actually it was it was both days of the weekend. There was a mobilization that was called by a broad based coalition on their side of far right actors. Um, really, some very strange um, to the outside eye bedfellows. Um, Heshi Tischler, the right winger um, candidate for city council, who's made headlines recently for having um, anti-mask protests. They assaulted a journalist at one of these anti-mask protests, um, was one of the coalition partners of the event. She's a very strange um, bedfellow, um, but it speaks to the way that um, Trump 2020 and, and MAGA has allowed um, some of these distinctions to dissolve and for um their side, if you will, to unite under one banner, whether that be the Trump 2020 banner or as is very popular right now, um, what they call quote unquote blue lives matter. Um, but as we like to chant in the street, blue is a job and that doesn't matter. Um, so it's kind of what You're I in call trouble the, again. <laughs> I'm not getting in some trouble again, Jack. Uh, it's kind of what I call, um, the worstest hits of, of the far right in the, in New York city and surrounding areas. Um, so, uh, this upcoming Sunday, I regret to report that there has been another mobilization that's been called from the far right. They are calling it the rally of rallies or Trump Tower takeover. It's another one of these car based events, which again, I find pretty offensive on an aesthetic level. Um, and people are going to be car caravanning in through the city, um, carrying Trump 2020 banners, um, which is a, a, a very hateful symbol for people to be having paraded through their, their communities. And they're all going to converge, um, in midtown Manhattan. United Against Racism and Fascism, which is a coalitional, non-sectarian, anti-fascist group, um, was one of the groups that called this counter-demonstration on Sunday. And once again, they are calling for um, this another broad-based mobilization for this upcoming Sunday, which is the 1st of um, November. Um, these types of actions, um, counter-protests, are really about reclaiming public space. It's about saying, no, you cannot drive through our city carrying Blue Lives Matter flags, carrying Trump 2020 flags, carrying people who have committed violence against others, carrying people who are affiliated with very violent groups. You don't get to do that, right? You don't get to do that in our city. It's not harmless. <laughs> these, these car caravans are, are not harmless. They represent the far right kind of testing the waters, testing the boundaries of what they're allowed to do in public space. And those boundaries have expanded a lot in the last four years because we have people in power who enable, um, this type of uh, hateful display. So when activists uh, hold counter protests, it's a way of, of holding that that public space for the, the diversity and the vibrancy of life that we respect here in New York City that includes people of color, that includes the disabled who are very, very threatened by the rise of fascism, that includes, um, you know, as we were talking about some of these other issues, abortion access, environmental justice, organizers, labor organizers are historically very threatened by um, the rise of fascism. So, you know, it, it, it all kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show. 
you know, that it becomes much, much harder to accomplish any of our goals as um, a, a left movement when we're also literally fighting for our lives and defending ourselves against um, this type of violence. So anti-fascism hopes to, again, like I said, uh, provide a blockade or a barrier so that um, everybody can can organize and we can all work toward the better world that we so desperately need. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very elegant way of putting it. The the fascists are, we always talk about building working class institutions and these various spheres of struggle in this show, but the fascists are working to undermine and destroy ultimately all those forms of power um, mm-hmm. for working people. And this, it, it means that if you want to fight for a world where the working class in all its um, shapes and sizes is uh, empowered more thoroughly, where racism is overcome, where we are, um, you know, spreading reproductive justice, all of these various fights that we always discuss, discuss on this show, then you have to take the threat that fascism poses to those struggles very, very seriously. And we have um, about a few minutes left in the show. So we We'd love to hear from our listeners while we close out in our uh, last show in the 5 p.m. slot. Um, That number is 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. I don't know if we had another caller on the line before we shifted back to this last conversation. I don't know if they're still there. Um, If if not, uh, so we'll take the next caller. Just call in at the 212-209-2877. And uh, while we wait um, for these callers, I just, uh, since you know we're moving to Wednesday nights at 9, we'll be working with a different uh, uh, operations engineer. We just want to give a shout out to Reggie for all the amazing work he's uh, done with us in this past couple years in this time slot. Uh, we couldn't have done it. Without you, and uh, while we won't be directly working together, uh, at least during the time slot, you'll always be a friend and comrade of Revolutions Per Minute. So we just wanted to make sure we shouted you out for all the great work that you've done. We would not be able to do it uh, without you. So okay. we have a we've got a caller uh, on the line. Uh, uh, no, we don't have a caller uh, yet. No, we're still waiting. Oh, uh, sorry, Reggie. Uh, misinterpretation yes. from yes. me. <laughs> Well, at least we got Reggie's voice on the air this hour in our last in our last show. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. I, I, I'm pretty sure the way things are set up in um, this, uh, how things set up is that, or we're, it's very, very likely that we will even interact even more so. So uh, I'll, I'll I'll just let to that. Even though we this will be the last time with me. Uh, at this time slot, um, I'm pretty sure that they will give you opportunities to do a lot more other things as well, too, hopefully. So, uh, you know, so, yeah, this it, it's it's sad, but, you know, that's it's it's part of forward movement, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's not goodbye. It's just hasta la vista. <laughs> 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 well, looking forward to all the opportunities to be working together in the future. That's um, for sure. And Amy, while we wait for anyone else to call in, um, just uh, with what you're just talking about with this mobilization, uh, this counter protest, uh, 
mm-hmm. on um, Sunday, I believe. I don't want to. Yes, yep, on Sunday. Sunday. The first. Yep. And I'm sure many more to come with the election. We didn't even really get to fully dive into that because there's just so much to explore on this topic. How can people uh, get involved? So I do encourage people to follow this group, um, United Against Racism and Fascism, because they are uh, a non-sectarian group. They're deliberately trying to build um, a broad-based coalition. So it's an organization that anybody can can follow, go to one of their open meetings, get involved with them. Um, the best way to keep up with them is on Twitter. Their handle is at UARFNYC. And that's also where you'll be able to find updates for um, this Sunday's mobilization, which, again, um, is being called as a, a broad base. Everybody out. You know, this is a defense of, of New York City and we need people on the streets. Um, we need people bringing signs, tambourines, drums, um, dancers, everybody, everybody come and, and show that New York City is a place that um, values love over hate. Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing that information with our listeners. And we have uh, two callers on the line for our last couple minutes before we got to uh, close off. Uh, so I just uh, want to give them a chance for a very brief comment. Hey, you are live on Revolutions Per Minute. What's your name and what's your comment and or question? Please keep it brief. Hello, it's me. Hey, yes, you're live. Oh, sorry. Hey, guys, um, this is John. And I just want to know... Um, isn't this medical pandemic kind of a, like a medical fascism where you have to wear masks and the mandatory vaccines are coming? We're going to be waiting for that. And we got to be locked down, walk around, got to step on this line. You can't go six feet apart. You got to get kids got to be masked up half a day with Zoom. Is not like some kind of fascism? No. You're told how to live your life by some It's, it's not. It's not, not fascism. No, it is not fascism. It's a pandemic. <laughs> they're they're yeah, very different. Yeah, I think we got to be very clear that having to do things for health concerns is not fascism. Fascism would be letting the pandemic run wild and kill as many people as they can so that the profit and accumulation and state power can go unquestioned. The the fascists in this country, that's what they want to happen. Fascism is about the kind of not valuing uh, certain forms of human life. So I think we have to really not think about it as the government doing things. Uh, we've got another caller on the line. Please keep it brief. Then we got to close the show. Caller, you're on the air. Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, I, I'm calling. When is the demonstration on Sunday? What time? I, I don't believe they've announced an exact time yet, but it will be um, in the midday. Uh, in the probably in, I don't know, midday. I'll leave it at that. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember to follow them if you can, um, just to get an update on what's going on for Sunday. Well, the th- thank you very much uh, for that call. And thank you, Amy, so much for joining us as a guest and as uh, and sharing your experience as an anti-fascist organizer. Um, w- you have been tuning in to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. Uh, to connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. Or you can find us on our website, revolutionspersonminute.simplecast.com, or on Twitter at NYCRPM. Uh, this is our last Tuesday show. Uh, we'll be back live on WBAI uh, next week, Wednesday at 9 p.m. We hope for you to join us then. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. 
Y ahora, 